Welcome to The Herd Community, a podcast where we will celebrate all the best aspects of farm life. We will talk to producers, community leaders, and compassionate neighbors. Our goal is to cultivate knowledge, support, connection, and most of all, a strong herd community. Enjoy. In this podcast, we talk to Dr. Aaron from the Camrose Vet Hospital. We discuss the importance of the vet-client-patient relationship and dive into animal health considerations as we head into spring. I do want to offer a little bit of a disclaimer, though. As we were doing our interview, it was late one evening in February here in Alberta, and mid-interview, we were hit with a snowstorm. So there were a couple connection issues, but we were still able to gain a lot of knowledge and insight from Dr. Aaron, and we really appreciate all of her input. Enjoy! Hello, Dr. Aaron. Hello, Emily. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming on our show today. Please, Louise. Yes. We first met uh, when you came out to our farm. I was thinking that was probably about September. You walked around the farm with me. We met all the animals. We showed you the barn and whatnot. And flash forward six months and here we are. Yeah, it's been it's been some time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, that's always the hardest question, isn't it? Right. <laughs> so, uh, well, I uh, I grew up in Sherwood Park, um, not really knowing what I wanted to do with life, and uh, just came and stumbled my way through. And uh, now I I guess I'm a veterinarian graduated in in May and uh, I have a cat and a snake and uh, I really like basketball but uh, overall you know I'm still finding myself I guess. <laughs> right yeah and, and what drew you to becoming a vet because when we talked earlier you said it was it, it wasn't an automatic childhood pick. No no I think uh, I, I have uh, a tough time deciding things um, sometimes. So I didn't always want to be a vet. I knew coming out of high school that I wanted to be in the health services. uh, So I applied to the U of A and tried to find the most interesting sounding degree that would cover prerequisites. Should I want to go into something like nursing or pharmacy, medicine, something of that kind of nature. And so I uh, really only pursued vet med after some job shadowing experiences where essentially it was one of the few careers where I thought it was so much variety that I actually could maintain interest uh, and uh, no days the same. And of course, I don't have to ride a desk. <laughs> right. Was it, was it an automatic love for vet and that drew you to it? Or was it, uh, you know, trying a different job and realizing you didn't love that one that drew you more to the vet? Things. I think uh, I didn't really truly love it until actually uh, kind of volunteering in a, in a vet clinic where I realized that the job is quite fun. I mean, I was only an assistant at the time, but uh, who doesn't like working with animals every day and using problem solving skills and kind of getting into that and like variety is the spice of life. So it's uh, well, one of the few jobs where no day is ever the same and, and I get a quite a range of species so I think uh, just kind of seeing other people go through that and realizing how exciting it was I think that's what kind of drew the love. Yeah, and, and you right now you work at the cameras veterinary hospital and, and it's mixed practice 
-hmm. So what drew you to that mixed practice? Yeah, uh, I mean, initially, uh, like I said, I was having a tough time deciding about pretty much what I really wanted to do. So in, in to, going into vet school, I thought maybe I just wanted to do small animals since I started volunteering in small animal and realized how fun that was. It's literally the best job ever. And all I was, was an assistant. And, uh, and then in vet school, I thought all I wanted to do was equine or horses. And mm -hmm. uh, at the end of vet school, I determined I didn't really, I didn't really know what to do, but uh, I wanted to do uh, no more school and I didn't really want to choose. So I literally made that choice at that time that I want to see, I want to see everything. I don't want to uh, say no to anything, and I want to help people with, with pets that they can bond to that are furry, as I have with my snake. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what do you really enjoy about, about the mixed practice? Yeah, so I think I, I just enjoy, uh, I, I really enjoy seeing such a variety. I enjoy helping the people who have, have well, so I know what's, what's difficult is... You know, I can't possibly have all the information about what to do with every every species. I'd be able to help the people who say, "Look, I uh, that's but I really bonded with this uh, gecko." You know, I I think that's really really quite special to have a friend that's not necessarily you know furry. And some people, you know, we 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 choose our pets based off of kind of our personalities. And I think what I love is just helping people who are so grateful that they don't have to drive into the city and basically see a reptile specialist or bird specialist. And I'm not claiming to be a specialist or anything, but uh, seeing the smiles on their face thing that you can help them with their chosen creature <laughs> is something that really brings joy to me. And, uh, and of all shapes and sizes. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. That's, it, it's really quite quite remarkable and really really pretty incredible that you guys see such a, a wide variety but there must be challenges that come from from being a mixed practice oh for sure yeah <laughs> one of my big challenges is that I'm one of the few vets that'll actually see something like a let's say gecko I'll use for an example or bearded dragon or snake or bird or kind of whatever and so uh, as a new grad that's kind of challenging I don't have a lot of mentorship on that one but uh as long as the people know that I'm not not trying to be an expert, I'm just trying to provide something better than better than what they possibly have access to. Because I know some people have the thoughts that are, well, it's a five dollar hamster. Why don't I just get a new one? Well, that was and better than better than Google. You know, like what a wonderful resource to be able to come to a a vet and get some accurate accurate information. Yeah, and it's not even just like, I, I mean, I'm speaking about exotics quite a bit, but something like, like goats, they're, they're a challenge. And they're a challenge because a lot of times there's not a lot of research on, on their, let's say, pharmacology or physiology, their recovery and reactions and safety of things like drugs. But we don't want to deprive them of treatment if they need it. So we need to make that kind of call on what's safe to try. And uh, you don't want to just go out doing that yourself as a farmer. It'd be kind of nice to have a resource to be like, hey, so we've seen this work before. Not to say it will work in every every goat, let's say, mm -hmm. but uh, we've seen it work before and it's it's done well. So let's let's give it a try. Right, and uh, you know what we we did that um, in a couple different scenarios with you here on the farm, and it was just so refreshing to have you make suggestions that um, weren't maybe like basic standard well-known practice, but you had 
researched them and, you know, they were worth a try. And, and um, mm-hmm. just that pursuit of knowledge is, I think, really, really something that's, that's on your side. Yeah, I guess I definitely have the benefit is, you know, you as a farmer have your population of animals where I get to go out and see a different bunch of population of animals. And some people have things that worked for them really good uh, than I that and things that even even old wives tales sometimes help a bunch too like uh, <laughs> you're you're uh, um you asked me one time about ringworm kind of thing and that's it that's <laughs> one of those things where uh, some people say oh let's just dilute some bleach and you know let's throw it on them and you're like well I mean that could possibly work perhaps but uh I don't know some of the ringworm hangs out by the eye I don't necessarily want bleach in the eye oh so let's talk let's talk a little bit about we were talking about this earlier about the vet client patient relationship or the vcpr this is something i did not know a lot about um but can you tell us a little bit about it yeah so kind of uh it's more of a legal uh term i suppose uh it's a definition of interaction among vets clients and a patient where a patient can be defined basically as an individual of animals. So that kind of gives rise to, uh, I can treat a herd versus just, let's say a sick cow or something like that. And uh, it's, it's important because uh, now, I think as of 2018, 2017 maybe, I don't really remember the year, but uh, they changed the rules more of an antimicrobial stewardship so that we, though, as vets, don't really want to be blamed for human antimicrobials not being not working anymore because of our use in in animals and uh, so it gives a basis for this interaction so that we are treating more appropriately animals in particular as before we were pretty loosey-goosey on using antibacterials especially in food animals so it's a relationship where the veterinarian assumes responsibility for making judgments on the health of a patient and the client agrees to work alongside the veterinarian recommendation. So I don't want to, that to be interpreted as like a vet telling the client what to do, but as more of like a collaboration kind of thing. Right, like a, a um, guiding or shepherding of your of your farm and its livestock. Yeah, so so ultimately I want I want to be able to be presented a problem, have enough information about the problem. Uh, usually that's in the form of going to see the farm. Uh, to comment on and make a good judgment on whatever I provide for you or recommendations I make for you to be actually effective. And then you to tell me whether that's something that's possible for you guys to do with your farm. Like I I can't go, well, you know, if I told you to vaccinate every six weeks for lifelong, I don't think that would work very good for you. (laughs) Yes, yes. Nobody wants to do that, even if it's the most effective everything ever. I'm not saying it is, but... uh, I have to make realistic things for you and you have to tell me whether whether you can you can work with that or not kind of thing and then we have to go together work together to figure out whether that was an appropriate thing to do and kind of comment on over the year whether it was a good choice or not so right and you said over a year and that's because legally it's it's a once a year farm visit or a renewed renewed every year with a farm visit yeah, so some places say every six months, so then it gets 12, and I think it's 12 for most places. Mm-hmm. And 
that's just kind of to manage that line in defining the VCPR where the vet has to have sufficient knowledge to make calls about what kind of recommendations to make. So it's really a protective mechanism for for the animal, the client, and the vet because we want to actually do something that's useful for you. We want the patient to be healthy, of course, and we want you to be able to comment on whether. So it's kind of and and a lot can change in a year. I mean, um, you know, a year is a year is a long time, but. You, you come directly out to the farm. Um, I mean, like I said before, you were out here with us. Tell us a little bit about, about your actual farm visit, what you're looking for, um, sort of what your goals as a vet. Yeah, are. so yeah, I, I have kind of a, a document um, made by our clinic that's kind of a more specific outline. So it's, it's a little bit more tailored to bovine or cow species, particularly beef, but uh, this forms a way to have a record. Um, I, I don't just fill out the form and be on my way kind of thing, but it's a guideline to one, identify the farm, what's on the farm, how you, like what kind of animals, recent problems, programs for the animals that you do already, uh, or what we've talked about, given that 12 months kind of frame uh, to mitigate risk. So semen testing, pregnancy testing, foot trimming, uh, things along those lines, vaccination protocols, deworming schedules. Uh, I also want to document troubles on the farm, such as pneumonia, foot rot, abortion. I do a walk around, try to see all the animals if possible, and note facilities, so like maternity pens, shoot system, husbandry in general. If applicable, I'd also like to see animals uh, when they're handled. So a lot of times we do these VCPRs during pregnancy testing most often, especially in beef because then we get a chance to see how the animals are handled, see a whole bunch of animals up close and personal, um, talk about what kind, of, what kind of things that they're doing with them. So sometimes they'll choose to vaccinate or, or do their deworming at that time as well and uh, determine kind of whether that's an effective time to do things for them. And at that time, it's also a perfect opportunity to ask if there's something specific that the farmer would like us to work on. So, uh, vaccination protocols, deworming schedules. Uh, hey, doc, you know, I have three sick animals right now. Like, could they be related? You know, th just things that are offhand kind of thing that are in addition to the form that I have. Right. And, and I think the biggest thing, and I've experienced this personally, um, is that when you're agreeing to a farm visit, agreeing for, you know, to a vet coming out, it, it can be intimidating just in the fact that, you know, you're coming out, you're seeing our farm, you're seeing our facilities. I, I guess e even for me, it was a little bit scary thinking, you know, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? What if I'm doing something wrong? But I was really quite surprised that it wasn't like that at all. It was such a supportive relationship. And I think that's the key to a VCPR. Yeah, so we're we're not there to judge you uh, by any means, you know. And even if we we were, uh, everything really comes back to to why why are we there in the first place, kind of thing. Like, you don't just invite somebody on your farm and uh, you know get criticized. Like, we're we're there to be like, hey, uh, ultimately you want us on your farm to help you with the animals, and I'm sure you're doing a great job. But like, what can we do? better kind of thing you know and even if you're doing everything perfectly that's great because I can see your farm I can get a better idea about what you're doing already I can see your facilities so that I know that let's say later on down the road you know nobody goes through entire life without a problem 
And if within, you know, 11 months down the road, 12 months down the road, you know, you say, hey, Aaron, I, uh, I now have this issue, I can now be like, well, instead of me rushing out to your farm to look at everything, I can be like, well, I saw this, 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 I know that this will be realistic for you, and you won't be like, oh, Aaron, that's such a, you know, that's really impractical. I, you know, we have a great, great starting place to go. Right, and, and uh, I guess let's talk about, so I've, I've had you out to the farm, We've done a VCPR. I've met you. You've seen my protocols. Um, you know, maybe we've we've mutually agreed upon some protocols. Um, and two weeks later, I have a sick you, and I'm running into problems. And I I now phone the clinic. And what does this VCPR allow for me? Yeah. So uh, that kind of goes back to um, it. We have to have that valid VCPR to dispense anything to you. So now we get to have that conversation. You don't really need me to go out there again because I've seen your facilities. I've seen your your animals. I kind of got a general idea of what's going on out there. And at that point, now that I know, you know, based off of a discussion with you that, hey, this sounds like this, I can give you medications because what the VCPR really is intended is that within that year, I know that I can dispense something reasonably to you without uh, being worried that you're going to use it inappropriately. Does that make sense? And, and it does. It does. And I think, um, I think it's important to emphasize that the VCPR just opens so many more doors to you so that when you're presented with a sick animal on your farm, you just are allowed that open conversation and, and back and forth conversation about what what to do what's a plan what medications can we work on which can really be quite cost effective for your farming operation and I think that's that's undervalued mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think uh, yeah, just a comment on I know some people get annoyed if their their VCPR is expired or they've never had one and they get mad that hey why can't I just call a clinic like I used to be able to and get get drugs for my animals mm-hmm. That really just comes back to, well, now it's a legal one, but it's also unethical for me to just be like, hmm, sounds like pneumonia, have some antibiotics, you know, like, uh, I, I don't want to give you something that's so hard hitting that I am causing a public health issue, but I also don't want to give you something that won't work. And uh, so essentially that VCPR gives that leeway so that within that year time frame, you know, if you pay your hundred bucks and you get basically what you want for a year within reason, in terms of medications. So that really just goes back to, you have a relationship. Uh, so like, I like to compare this to human medicine because if you were like, hmm, I found a lump on my, or I think I need some doxorubicin, which is like a chemotherapeutic agent. Like you wouldn't just call up your doctor and yeah, I need this and they'd be like, okay. It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> right away. <laughs> You know, like that would be that would be too much. So uh, they would ask you, "Hey, I'd like to see you know you see this lump, and I want to treat you appropriately." So the all the VCPRs we expect people to have problems, like not severe problems all the time, but we expect you to need something, and we don't we don't want you to have to call us every time you need something either. Like we want to give you some freedom, but we also want you to use everything appropriately. And I think I think uh, some something else that's valuable to mention is that if I have problems with 
with an animal on my farm, I can phone you. Um, and we, we talked about this before, phone the clinic. And um, if it's, it's something that you don't automatically know the answer to, you guys will look into it and you come back, you know, an hour or two later with, with an answer that you've researched. And so it's not just, yes, you can have these antibiotics. Yes, you can have these vaccines. It's, you know, let's look into the problem a little bit further for you and, and help you along that way. I don't want to ever tell somebody like, hey, you have to pay me for a VC card before you get answers because you're always welcome to call the clinic. Right. And the only thing is uh, that discussion is kind of limited because let's say, you know, you've never you've never seen me before. You've, you've never had a VCPR, but you call and you say, hey, I've had sheep that aborted and I'm having a whole bunch of sheep aborted. Like, what can I do for them? And then I have a discussion with you and we kind of come to the conclusion that, hey, maybe we, we need to go go out there or um, like we talk about options, but then I really I can't give you anything. And that's really of a benefit too, is because like if I go out there, maybe I can actually identify something that's causing this. Versus I'm really reaching the dark to help you if I don't know. You know, sometimes you tell me obvious, but I still can't give you anything for it. Just leave. Yes. And it, I think it's worth mentioning too that um, I know you did this for us with bringing feeder calves in and things like that, but you can initiate some really good farm protocols that, like you said, mean that we're not, we're not phoning you all the time. You know, we've run through scenarios, we've run through adding new livestock to the farm, what meds vaccines are we giving, what are we looking out for, so that we can be that much more efficient on the farm, that much more, um, you know, the health of the livestock is that much much better it's a little bit more cost effective and and it also means we're not bothering you every two weeks yeah fair enough <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay so practices are always changing I, I mean there there can be value in seasoned advice but this um you know isn't always the most accurate can you tell us a little bit about um how vcpr can help you sort of stay up to date and, and more more accurate yeah, um, I don't know, more accurate kind of thing, I guess. Uh, everything, like, as, as time goes on, I guess I'll comment on, on the, the farms are always changing, even if farm is generation to generation, like, everything's going to going to change in terms of what we can do. And, and so the laws of the VCPR kind of have changed as well. So as of, I believe, it was 18, you know, we can't just give you antimicrobials. So that's something that I'm sure has changed, you know, since even dad has been on the farm and great. Mm -hmm. So protocols have to change with that. And sometimes I always get the, well, we've never done this before, or we've always done this before, and it's never a problem. And I, I always, I think I always come back to calf big thing is so if you're going to band a calf whatever time if you're not giving it tetanus, like a tetanus vaccine then then putting that calf's life at risk and I, I think this is one of the best examples because if you have a tetanus vaccine it is less than two dollars a dose and it saves lives um, so if you're going to tell me that less than two dollars a dose isn't worth the lives of the banded bull then I'm just going to I'm going to have to beg to differ, you know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I, I get that, 
uh, I never vaccinated and I never had any problems quite a bit, but I'm telling you, you've just been very fortunate at that time. And, and really when you, when you factor in per dose per head and an ounce of prevention, you know, saves can save so much more. Yeah. And, and I know that some of the vaccines I'm talking about te- specific, but uh, there's other things that are often combination with those. But I, I know that a lot of them aren't licensed for use until cattle are, are a little bit older. But uh, that's another one of those things where if you've, if you've kind of thought about the physiology and everything, you just talk to your vet and come up with something that works for you that's also convenient too. Because I'm not going to have you like, well, you got to vaccinate the calf, wait so long, ban the calf, then wait so long, then <laughs> and then wait you know like it's one of those things where it's got to be logical too but uh that's really really more specific to what works best on your your farm too and then talking about beef kind of things but this is relevant for other other things too like you know i know people with sheep you know you dock the tails and uh, that's another thing too is just even something simple where you don't need a drug like uh, something getting the vet out to your farm to teach you how to do uh, certain things as well that can save a whole bunch whole bunch of money as well if you're able as a producer to have your vet show you and do it on farm yeah yeah and like yeah you know you don't even really need that to be a vcpr kind of thing but uh it's just one of those things where i think we we don't get used as much as as we can be so if you have us out at your farm you know, we like to know what we're going out for. Like, <laughs> I don't like going up on a farm for one sick animal and getting roped in doing, you know, 20 other things. Without... <laughs> you know, I like to be told what I'm, what I'm expected to do so that I, I don't have to tell my next couple appointments, hey, you got to wait because I got 50 things to do. I'm at this black hole farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, you know, it, it's fine. And I, but I, if I'm going to go and deal about things, I'm more than happy to. I would love to, actually. But uh, I do, do need to consider you know, booking that appropriately so that I, I don't, uh, don't make you not have as good a time as you want to and not leave anybody else hanging either. Uh, I, think, I think, Dr. Aaron, we need to uh, uh, also be a little honest here in that that's just the reality of farming and farmers and black hole farms. Hey, <laughs> the way it goes sometimes, they just... <laughs> I would love to be farm all day and like go through everything and be like yep you're doing awesome you know that's all I want to say <laughs> but <laughs> reality is, is you know how many times I see abscesses at vaccine sites or sometimes I see people who do intentional belly bowls and uh, people who don't implant because they don't believe in it and all of these kind of things are just a decision away from making you have a, have a more productive farm and mm-hmm. that simple is just having those discussions. Right. And, and uh, that's all it is, right? It's just a, a discussion. But let's, let's transition here a bit and, and talk a little bit about springtime. So we're leading into spring. Everyone's excited to get rid, rid of the snow. And it's springtime on the farm. And let's talk a little bit about um, what that means. We're going to focus on cattle and sheep for the purpose of this discussion, but what are some common illnesses that really seem to pop out in the spring and that we need to keep an eye out for? So top two, just off the, mm-hmm. being uh, pneumonia and parasitism. So 
those are the biggest biggest factors. Of course, there's other things. Um, it's also calving season still kind of extending. <laughs> I know it goes through winter, but uh, um, calving problems as well. But uh, pneumonia is the biggest because we're kind of going from frozen to warm and back to frozen and all over the place and all our poor babies suffering. And uh, so just things to watch out for on those guys is of course, you know, separating from, well, they may or may not separate kind of from the herd, but they, they'll have their head down, they'll be depressed, they might have some nasal discharge, coughing, not eating as much, and that goes for like cow and, and calf kind of thing. Because of course their immunity is not so good, and that's another thing is that we can we can certainly mitigate those risks by by manages. Like sometimes we have uh, a little lean-to that we have, or a shelter, or a sick pen. But uh, if we're not that fancy, sometimes we can talk about intranasal vaccines that can be done at birth, and when to boost those, and when to treat, when to call your vet, kind of thing. And it's uh, mm -hmm. a really big thing. Because a lot of times, you know, people are on the phone as soon as they hear a sniffle, and uh, that's fine. However, you know, I'm going to tell you, well, is it is it got a fever? Is it drinking? You know, I need to. I'd like to know these things so I don't just hand you hand you a whole bunch of drugs either. Mm -hmm. Also, like to know, you know, whether like if we have a fever versus not have a fever for pneumonia, that changes kind of what drug I want to use as well. So I also want to know how, how able you are to, to look at that animal every day because I don't want to don't want to give you something that you know you're just gonna kick out the, the calf right away and be like, well, you treated you once. You know, what kind of protocols we're gonna do like in terms of a follow-up, like do we retreat, do we not retreat, who do we retreat? And that's really a specific thing for, for your farm too, based off of what facilities you have. Right, and and you you mentioned it about the the facilities, and obviously the the um, the weather. We can't always help that, and spring weather is unpredictable. But in terms of farm management, is there anything we can do um, to sort of prevent pneumonia before it becomes a problem? Mm. Yeah, so preventing pneumonia is difficult. I think uh, the problem with pneumonia is is the unpredictability of the weather. Um, certainly. You know, we're starting to think that that if we were able to vaccinate our calves with an intranasal, that might be something that's worthwhile doing. But of course, then it's something extra that you have to do. It's very difficult with the unpredictability, and I don't want to tell everybody to to build a, an extra for for protecting things because that's just unrealistic, right? So ultimately, it's all keeping keeping weight on these calves and knowing that if you're going to push your your calving season up like in colder times which I want to do right now is just consider that yeah you might have a heavier calf when fall rolls around you also might lose a lot more so that's another... there's, more, there's more of a risk there yeah it's it's certainly a risk and same with lambs you know i know lambing is one of those things where you know the lamb goes downhill it's really hard to save it yeah uh, so, so really mitigating that risk you know having having the uh, the sheep in a place where like ideally you have a place where they can be monitored but i know that's not always possible so prevent depending on 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 
flock volumes and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So if you're going to have like a couple sheep, like it's way easier, you know, than if you're going to have a, a huge flock, you know, not a lot of people have a huge flock, but, you know, I know a lot of times the hobby farmers actually do better with, with pneumonia because they're, they're watching them all the time. <laughs> Everyone's got names. All the, all the sheep have names and they take yeah. really good care of them. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about parasites because that's kind of the unseen, unseen villain sometimes. Oh, true. And yeah, parasites are one of those things too, is that I always encourage that if you're worried about parasites, uh, like your herd or flock or even your horses are having some diarrhea, like get, get a fecal sample and take it to your vet. You know, whether you have a VCPR or not, rule that out because it's simple. Uh, it's just so simple. And a lot of times spring and fall, you know, a lot of people tell me they deworm once a year because they want to do it all just during pregnancy testing or a turnout or something like that they only want to do it once and that's fine if your herd is not suffering from parasitism uh, but the amount of times I see sheep from like coccidia or something like oh that's you know not not good if we're not managing that kind of thing and it's something so easy that for less than a hundred bucks we can take a good look at your even a pooled collection of feces and tell you what your problem is, get you an appropriate drug, treat them all, save some lives, you know? Right. And, and uh, I think it, it, you know, it's to treat before it becomes a severe, severe problem, like the coccidia, like you said. Yeah. And that's, that's also tricky because not, not all one size does not fit all because in particular with horses, if you have horses on your farm, uh, kind of controversial in whether you're supposed to deworm them or not at this this time now they're saying only treat uh, horses that are what we can consider high shedders and you need a vet to tell you whether it's a high shedder or not um, based off of a fecal egg count and the reason that is is just because of this uh, it's really fancy the term cyathostomes the small strongyles those guys are becoming really resistant to our, our drugs and so we don't want to overuse it and cause superbugs Mm-hmm. yeah horses are kind of not very helpful on the farm in terms of that and you know I think it's something I just spent the weekend with um with uh, a large lamb producer and she was actually trained by by her vet years ago to do her own uh fecal egg counts oh, it yeah. was something the, uh, the Alberta lamb producers put on a I think a three-day conference or something where producers could go out and she then bought her own microscope and and it's something she's trained and works with her vet to do but she sat me down and, and we did one with mm-hmm. one of um her use and I was just so shocked how clear it was whether there was a problem or not like I guess I just never realized um how easy it was to see them and how easy it was to count them and then make a treatment plan from there Yes, no, it is. It's a very easy thing to do. It's uh, it's really simple and it's really effective. Yeah, because as, assessing the animal isn't always, you know, it, are they a little thinner because they're not as um, aggressive at the feed bunk, or are they thinner because you know? So you wonder, but this fecal egg count is is really effective and a real easy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you want to feed your animal, not the not the bugs inside of it. So, right. And and what would you look for? Um, 
you know, you're, you're wondering if your animal has parasites, what are some big, um, big signs that you might see? Yeah, so if they're uh, still eating, usually, uh, and, and not, not gaining weight, their daily gain is not as good, uh, if you're going to measure that kind of thing, uh, over a period of time. Uh, really, for the most part, parasitism is one of those things where it's not typically life-threatening, unless it's going to be, let's say, in coccidia has, has certainly been life-threatening before, or I'll give the uh, barber pole worm in, in sheep, you know, if you can have something like a thamacha score for that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of heard of that, probably. But uh, essentially, you can be on top of checking your animals every once in a while if you're going to do something like a thamacha score for them, and just seeing hey, this year, you know, my my animals seem thinner or in wintertime, I have a whole bunch of bald patches on them. Uh, that didn't happen before. And uh, we, uh, much money actually goes into, like if we, if we just treat them, we can have a lot more gain on these animals. So just kind of record keeping is a good thing too. Like if you're, if you've sold a calf, you know, and they're gross, like, gross weight is less than what it's been previously, perhaps we need to deworm them more often. And especially doing well pretty much all all year anyway. But sometimes that diarrhea is just something super simple. And I guess I'll emphasize for for sheep, I mean calves too, but for sheep, uh just noting that bloody diarrhea, uh blood in the di in the poop is is something that gives us a better idea of what's affecting them too. So that's that's important to note as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it's something that, you know, is just more common than a person realizes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're, you're scouring calf, you know, it, it usually we, we base a lot of our uh, diagnosis actually on So if it's right after birth kind of thing, you know, we got to think, well, E. coli is most likely. And according to that, and we always have a uh, saying, you don't you don't die from the parasite you die from the dehydration and so mm -hmm. for for scouring is fluids and electrolytes and start there call your vet right right okay well that's great and another thing we talked about in spring is that it's it's naturally when most farmers tend to process their animals so with with that in mind, what sort of things should producers be focusing on or, or thinking about in terms of spring and, and processing their herds or their flocks? Yeah, so uh, one thing to know is soil. Uh, so I'm not going to tell everybody to do the same thing because it just won't work for everybody. But uh, things like, you know, go back to banding calves. If you're going to band a calf, I, I, I believe you should be vaccinated if you're kind of along mid-south Alberta kind of thing, well, actually pretty much most of Alberta, you know, selenium is a thing to, to give a calf as well because we're pretty selenium deficient. And um, goes along with vitamin E. Uh, some people say A, D, and E is the most important. A being for immune function, eyes, and well, not quite yet for calves, but for reproductive development. And uh, selenium and vitamin E are good for antioxidants, so that's good for for essentially overall health and preventing white muscle disease, which is common in their younger guys. Uh, right. 
you're tagging, we want that to be done appropriately to prevent abscesses and everything like that. And also, you know, if we identify them right the first time, then it's good for record keeping and keeping an eye on the animal. And for our sheep tail docking, tail docking is one of those things. Um, we've got to do that right to prevent fly strike, but we also don't want to make them have a tough time covering you know, their back end as well. So doing that appropriately too. Uh, so, I mean, every farm is different. So every processing is going to be different. If we're going to process these animals, think about why you're doing it and how you're doing it and make sure that if you have multiple people doing it, that they follow a, a, a guideline, like a standard operating procedure so that everybody's doing it the same and they're doing it correctly. Uh, I mean, we're not always required also to give pain medication for things like tail docking or uh, banding if it's right. But uh, a lot of the times doing that can kind of benefit you in the long run too. So I would always encourage that if you're going to process an animal, just think about all those things. And if you if you need need help or want to have discussions or anything, then that's when you, you encourage a, a discussion at least with, with your veterinarian. Right, and and part of that can be uh, initiating some vaccine protocols and the timing of the vaccines because, um, and I guess, you know, like you had just said, um, making sure everyone's doing it correctly in the same way, and part of that is, um, you know, care of the vaccines. Are they refrigerated? Are they, you know, um, given in the right location? Things like that. So part of that uh, plan also can come along with processing your animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, because uh, we've we've kind of made a little binder to hand out to people too. Uh, it's a fairly new thing for VCPRs that goes through not just calving things, of course, but uh, I see a uterine prolapse. What do I do? You know, well, don't put her on a trailer and don't bring her to me because I'd, you know, that's not safe for her to travel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of those things, like sometimes these things aren't as obvious as they seem. We just kind of panic. Um, same thing with like a broken leg or oh hey I hear this weird honking cough like is it uh, necrotic laryngitis kind of thing you know what do I treat what things do I have on hand uh, what do I what did my vet give me to look through and just resource materials uh, to to kind of handle these situations so that you don't you don't panic <laughs> yeah and, and you know just a, a first place to look yeah, quite the quite the binder now actually of, of things and uh, it's it's one of those things where you know you can you can call if you want to of course you know call anytime but uh, if you have a little resource binder sometimes that's peace of mind that makes you feel better about it too it does yeah and and you know when it's two in the morning and something pops up you just grab a cup of coffee and and read through that so I think also in, in spring it's um like we're talking about processing, but a, a good opportunity to really look over your herd or your flock um, and just take a survey of, of them as a whole, or if any of them, you know, need to be, to be called or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I uh, learned versus, you know, vet school versus real life is, uh, I know this is a little bit off topic kind of thing, but um, the amount of, people who do who do implants versus what I thought people would do implants for uh, in vet school is is 
way lower. And I think that's most of a marketing thing too, is that I don't want people to be so wrapped up in the A&W marketing <laughs> where it's antibiotic free chickens, hormone free this, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. When an implant is just one of those things where, where it's sure it's not completely natural, but uh, what is natural? Like when you're on birth control, you know, that's, that's worse than eating a big, you know, that's gone through its withdrawal period and doesn't have that hormone in it anymore. And whether it was given or not, but, uh, but these are animals, they're living, breathing things with, with hormones in their body to, to live just like we are. And so to say something's hormone free or antibiotic free, like, are we saying that it's okay to not treat something or to not market this way? Because, you know, some commercial retailer has said that that's what they want. You know, it's, it's not always realistic or in favor of the animal. Yeah, and, you know, for something like chickens, and I know we don't really do chickens too much in the clinic, but, like, they, they have such a short cycle of production that if they gave them hormones, those things would literally all have heart attacks. Like, they can't possibly grow any faster. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would just kill them all. So, of course, they're hormone-free. You know, it's it's not new. <laughs> I just got so many visuals in my head trying to you know implant these chickens and them but that's not for but uh, i mean like for the calf like you spend your dollar 50 ahead for for an implant and you get you know up to let's say 50 bucks more for your calf value so your return on investment's quick and you're not really you know like versus leaving a belly bowl you know on purpose right but yeah have to sell that animal you know they don't like them to have weird testicle in them yeah you're getting deducted at the auction for that yeah exactly so if you're getting deducted why not have an implant which is okay mm -hmm. and then you don't have to get me out there to take your weird testicle out <laughs> <laughs> like it's odd that's a it's kind of a fun procedure, but it's also very odd. So, <laughs> jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily see and like. Of course, sometimes. I mean, I'm just talking about belly bulls, but with people who intentionally leave them uh, where they just don't ban them properly versus just don't know how to ban is very different. Yeah. You know, maybe it's a little bit of a tangent, but. Uh, <laughs> just like, we could have a we could have a whole nother podcast on this i feel like putting an implant in their ears is something that you could do instead of leaving a belly bowl save so much money and you don't have to have me out there cutting it out it's just one of those things yeah and and i think that's you know cycling back why we why the the relationship with your vet is so crucial because you can discuss things like this and why Maybe, you know, your dad used to do it this way, but an implant is more effective, cost-effective, and, and better for the animals. So. Yeah, and I don't want to go on here and make fun of anybody, of course, but I've, I've had some times where, where I go out to a farm to castrate, you know, 15, 20 uh, bull calves that are now, you know, because we didn't ban them at birth, but, like, you know, they were just confused whether they should ban them at birth or if they should wait because they weren't sure about growth and then they weren't sure about the cost. And so there's me, you know, out on the farm for 
you know, three hours while they round up the cow or round up bulls and I'm doing 500 pound bull calves. Well, that's kind of a waste of everyone's time because, mm-hmm. well, I mean, how, how easy would it have been to, to ban them when they're, you know, a day or two old and then throw an implant in them and have the same effect. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess it's just improving the health of the animals and improving farm efficiencies and, and having that talk with your vet. But Dr. Aaron, we could talk to you all day. I, I think we really could. We could have some really good discussions, but I think this is where we'll wrap up. What are your, what are your most important takeaways? Oh, most important takeaways is that if you have a question, uh, you know, I just saw something weird on my farm. I just want to talk about it or even something silly. You know, I, I've had questions of all sorts. If you have a question, just just give a, pick up the phone and call call a vet. You know, that's that's the biggest thing because no one's there to judge you. We're there for you. We're there for the animals. You know, we we, we love animals, but we help people. You know, and so we we really want want you to feel comfortable. You know, don't think that we're we're just there for the money because if we were there for the money, we'd be human doctors. <laughs> Yeah, no, just just pick up the phone and, and ask and uh, we can guide you. And if you have any questions about what a VCPR is, what it does for you, what it can do for your particular farm, um, you know, protocols, anything at all, you know, you just you just go ahead and ask, you know, if nothing silly, you know, we might have a giggle, but we'll giggle with you, not at you. And, uh, and it'll be great. Oh, I, I love that. You know, it's just like I said, it can be intimidating, but honestly, it's just such a good relationship and, and it's it's really good for the farm as a whole. But where where can they find you, Dr. Aaron? Uh, well, I'm at the, the Camrose Veterinary Hospital, uh, of course, in Camrose. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's, and you just, uh, you can text the phone too, but uh, um, pretty much that's, that's where we like to go. We're on Google, um, easy to find. Um, I don't know if I should give the number or not here, but uh, I guess oh, if- that's okay. I can I can post it, and and we know Google's wonderful. We can just search it, and it'll pop up. But uh, I guess it's it's easy for people to find, and of course, if they're not local, just to reach out to to the nearest vet that can suit their farm needs. And and the the main point, like we said, is just don't be afraid, and vets can offer a wonderful benefit to your farm. Oh yes. Oh, and that, that's the other takeaway too is just that if you if you think that you want something from us, you know, that's more than just coming out to the farm and walking around and asking a few questions. Like if you want to, you know, present one to us and and or or have us make one for you or just use us like we're supposed to be used. You know, we're we're not just there to check some boxes. We're there to actually help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Aaron. I appreciate your time so much. And I'm sure everyone um, listening to this appreciates your knowledge. Well, it's been really, really nice chatting with you. Uh, I've been on a podcast before, so this is, this is new for me, but it'll be exciting to, to see, you know, if I get some more questions from people, I'd love to, love to work with you guys. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Aaron.